Let us pray. Silence in us now any voice but your own gracious God, that the story of the good news of incarnation might enter our hearts and our world yet again. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel lesson comes to us from several portions of the second chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Let us hear God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Bible comes to us in multiple ways and forms curated over many centuries, yet core themes persist. 
One core theme is that God chooses unlikely, unexpected people to carry God's unlikely, unexpected message. As we gather here again in a few hours, that will become our fundamental affirmation. A tiny, vulnerable baby, born in poverty in a remote corner of the world, becoming a refugee, who will rule the world with truth and grace. But there are other unlikely, unexpected messengers, of course. Author Kathleen Norris makes the observation that Protestants have a limited attention span for Mary, the mother of Jesus. We unpack her from the box at Christmas time and then pack her back up again with our other decorations after the holidays are over. And yet, in a me-too, glass-ceilinged world, whether then or now, we must remember that God chose this woman to bear the good news that we will soon celebrate. An unlikely, unexpected messenger to carry an unlikely unexpected message. We know the story well. Hear it again, perhaps as for the first time. An unlikely messenger called to carry an unlikely message. Cynthia Rigby writes that theologians through the centuries 
have been scandalized when they contemplate that the God who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent is incarnate in one person with that person's particularities and limitations. Rigby writes, this scandal of particularity is nowhere more evident than in God's selection of Mary. God did not elect to be born of some woman, but of a particular woman. A particular woman gave of her humanity to the being of the God human. So note that interchange, Mary and this angel. There is perplexity, to be sure. There are questions, even a little fear. But there is no doubt. No doubt that she is called. No doubt that she is fully gifted for the task. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Rigby writes, strikingly, Mary does not try to negotiate her way beyond the impossibility of what God is calling her to. Neither does she fold under the weight of it. Nothing will be impossible with God, Gabriel tells her. And Mary accepts this. So must we. Distinct from, yet never separated from Mary's call, must we accept our vocation as messenger, unlikely, unexpected messenger, to trust the God that calls us and not negotiate because of our humanity. Rigby writes, what would our lives look like if we were to live in recognition of our identity as genuine participants in the coming of the kingdom? bearers of God to a needy world. And if we need clues as to what bearing God looks like, what that message sounds like, we discover Mary's own creed. The messenger embodies the message she was called to share. Now the church and the culture have domesticated it somewhat. We've made it beautiful even as we have sanitized the radical nature of Christmas itself, but it's all there. It's all there. It's called the Magnificat, because Mary reminds us that her primary calling, like ours, is to magnify God, to celebrate God, to make God great. As the Magnificat comes to us in Scripture in the form of music, Let's experience it that way now.
the song called Magnificat does is first and foremost magnify God. Holy is God's name, we sing. That is the baseline, holiness, the starting point, holiness. And yet holiness is as holiness does. So just as there is continual interplay between messenger and message, there is continual interplay between who God is and God's mission in the world. And what is God's holy mission? The mission that Mary magnifies. What is the lyric she sings and to what tune? Look at those words again. Mary reminds us that God is a table-turning God. Up is down and down is up. Strong is weak and weak is strong. Power is lowliness and lowliness is power. Richness is hunger and hunger is richness. Wealth is poverty and poverty is wealth. That's the mission. This is the song. To remind us who God is and what God does. It is rigorous and demanding and countercultural. It is the mission that Mary's son, grown to be a man, will embody. It is the mission, the song, that will get him killed as we connect Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. It is the mission that challenges power always, regardless of how the world is turning, regardless of which party is in power, regardless of how religion is faring in terms of popularity and cultural acceptance. It is a holy mission. Holy not so much in that it sets us apart, but holy in that it calls us deeper and deeper into God's world. The world God created, the world God loves so much. It is a get-your-hands-dirty mission. It is a live-with-discomfort mission. It's easier to sweep it aside, to compartmentalize it, to put a nice little bow on top of it. Yet that's not our calling. Our calling is to do the thing that God calls us to do because, first and foremost, it's God calling us. But we know in our hearts and in our souls that what our broken world needs right now is this good news, as it always has. David Lowe's reminds us that singing is an act of resistance, and he's right. It's other things as well. Singing is an act of joy. Singing can be an act of comfort. And I think the Magnificat does all three of those things, and maybe that's what hope is. Joy and comfort and resistance. But definitely resistance and protest. Lowe's writes, I think Mary knew how hard life was under Roman oppression. Yet when faced with the long odds of her situation, she did not retreat or apologize or despair. She sang. She sang of her confidence in the Lord's promise to upend the powers that be, 
reverse the fortunes of an unjust world and lift up all those who had been oppressed. When your back is to the wall, those rights, and all looks grim, one of the most unexpected and powerful things you can do is sing. Caroline Lewis writes, There are many ways that we we might respond to religious rejection, prejudice, fanaticism, narrowness, and bigotry. There are many principles, many mantras, many Bible verses that would suffice to articulate God's ways when the ways of the world seem to have taken over. But what if we sang Mary's song? A song to sing instead of talk of indifference and intolerance. A song to sing instead of speaking words of hate and fear. A song to sing instead of closed mouths, unwilling to speak up for or speak out against. Lewis writes, Mary's song would make our world a different place, a better place. A place where we might even catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God. If you're like me, you are receiving an endless stream of year-end news stories, all that use numbers to summarize things. They are intended, I think, to be read quickly on a screen. Five ways that Star Wars is the movie we need right now or three reasons why the Bills will make the playoffs, followed quickly by three reasons why they won't. Four winners and four losers from the new tax bill. You get the point, numbers and storytelling. So here, whether it's clickbait or not, are three insights from the Magnificat narrative. One. God calls unexpected, unlikely people. In this case, Mary in an extraordinarily unique way, but all of us, all of us, to be God's messengers. Two, the message and the messenger, or the messenger and the message, are inextricably linked. That's called incarnation. That's called Christmas. And three, this is holy work because God makes it so. So, when the angel appears in your life, and an angel will, or when God whispers in your ear, or your soul simply cannot imagine doing anything else, know that you are called Know that you are blessed, and know that God is with you. That's a song worth singing. Merry Christmas. Amen. Amen.